0: But I do have gifts. This is great. Well, let's open up our Bibles in this time to Genesis chapter one. And as we do, I don't. I don't want to be remiss in uh, reminding you that as a congregation, we just continue to support different ministries, and Life Aid being one of them. Bobby's very passionate about that. Out in the cafe after the service, we have uh, they, Life Aid. Have a bunch of. Um, uh, desserts or uh, treats that are available for purchase. So if you have uh, a need for a Valentine's gift, husbands, wives, uh, there are opportunities for you to go out in the the cafe later and and purchase that for uh, a support of the continued ministry in the Dominican Republic. So Genesis chapter 1. Muhammad is right. We have a God who is very generous, has blessed individuals across the world, and he continues to do so. And we have one common bond. The same God is the God who created all things. We all believe in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And so as we begin to read this, I really want to highlight the thought What we're really focusing on today is what Jesus teaches us in the Old Testament. Genesis is part of the Old Testament. Of course, these are the first words that were recorded and penned for us to continue to believe in. So welcome to week two of what Jesus teaches us in the Old Testament. And last week we talked about the journey that helped us to discover the Shekinah glory and how we can't help but be moved when he shows up. Better yet, when the presence of God shows up, we can't help but be moved. When that Within that message, we talked about the Ark of the Covenant. The box later contained the Shekinah glory. So Genesis chapter 1.1, and we'll begin to see... How this Shekinah glory came to be. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that light and it was good and he separated the light from the darkness. Let's focus in on chapter or verse 1 for just a little bit. Before we do, let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the book of Genesis. How it explains to all of us who believe in a creator how creation happened. Creation happened because of you, God. Because of us the Alpha and Omega. You are the beginning and the end. You are the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things. And God, as human beings, we just try to figure you out. You are complicated, but simple in some ways, too. And so let us discover the simple parts of you today. The light. The light that came into this world because of creation. Do what you need to do, Jesus, to soften people's hearts, to understand what Jesus teaches us in the Old Testament. In your name we pray. Amen. We often think as we read this passage, our first mindset goes towards the sun. Would it not go towards the sun when we say, let there be light, and a 24-hour day was created? What's interesting about this passage is we think, son... But yet, there is no sun that is created. The sun is not actually created till three days later. Here, in this moment, we have the fact that God created light. Verse 5 goes on, God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Yet, there was no source of light that we can actually see. There is nothing... But light. As you guys know, I I enjoy digging a little bit deeper into the original Hebrew. Again, the the original Hebrew would have been written in in such that we as English translators try to figure it out and use words to replace the Hebrew words. The Hebrew word here for light is or, or. And this idea of or is separated from another word called meor, M A O R. Later, when we read about the sun being created, the word that Hebrew is uh, used in Hebrew is meor. But here we just have this or. I'll go on to continue to explain that in just a little bit. But we have to begin to think outside of the box when we begin to try to see what Jesus teaches us in the Old Testament. You ever buy something from IKEA? Now, for me, I'm pretty good at following instructions once I can't figure out how to do it without instructions. You know what I'm talking about? Because often for me, I just rip open the box and I start throwing pieces together and all of a sudden I, I start, this isn't making sense. And then I go back to step one with already knowing that I'm probably on step 22, having missed probably 10 steps along the way. That's how I operate as a human being. And when I can't figure it out, I get into the instructions. But for me, I get ahead of the instructions. Am I the only one? That seemed to be a male-dominated voice. We get lost in the instructions or without the instructions. And I love this little picture within that, the confusion, and then all of a sudden the gentleman calling up and saying, I need more help. And that's for us the way we need to look sometimes at the scripture we need to call for help because we unfortunately get ahead of god exodus chapter 25 exodus chapter 25 in exodus chapter 25 verse 10 to 20 god is in the process of laying out the ikea instructions for a place called the tabernacle the tent of meeting the place that would be the central focus. In this period of time, the Israelites are past the Exodus. They've crossed the Red Sea, and um, Moses has, uh, you know, brought the people to a place where now it's time to live life with God, but in the desert. And so Exodus chapter 25, which is, pre- is post, you know, comes. Free the conversation we had last week about Exodus chapter 33 and the Shekinah glory, God is preparing them for the Shekinah glory, for his presence. So he gives instructions, and these instructions from God really are laid out like Ikea instructions. Exodus chapter 25, verse 10 to 20 is the instructions on how to make the ark. Verse 10 says, have them make a chest of acacia wood two and a half cubits long, a cubit and a half wide and a cubit and a half high. Overlay it with pure gold. The instructions continue on into verse 20 where it says that the cherubim are to have their wings spread upward overshadowing the cover with them. The cherubim are to face each other looking toward the cover. I talked about this last week, and there's a picture of the Ark of Covenant up on on the screen right now. Those are the cherubim. They were over top of what we'd consider the atonement seat. And in that place, God would meet the Israelites in this place called the Tent of Meeting. So, with instructions, again, Moses meets the Shekinah glory like we talked about last week. Moses is moved from uh, standing on a rock into the cleft of the rock and that was what God did, and what the idea there is, when the kind of glory shows up, when the presence of God shows up, even today, when the presence of God shows up, we can't help but be moved. And so Moses comes down from the mountain in that story, and his face is radiant, so radiant that he has to put a veil on his face. Like he has to cover his face, he's so radiant. And then people begin to say, okay, there's a reality to this presence of God. That God, when he shows up, it's, it's, it's powerful. And so we've got to contain this somehow. We've got to do something to protect ourselves. That's why Moses was wearing this, this veil over his face. Exodus chapter 31, verse 1 says, okay, let's go ahead and build this ark. These instructions have been laid out. And so Exodus chapter 31, verse 1 Bezalel was the man instructed to make the ark, and so he made the ark with acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, a cubit and a half wide, a cubit and a half high. He was a good man. He followed the instructions. He overlaid it with pure gold. You following the, the, the pattern here? And as he's building it, going on to um, verse 9, again, the cherubim had their wings spread upward, overshadowing the cover with them, and the cherubim faced each other looking toward the cover. So they made the Ark of the Covenant. They built it. And then they put the Ark of the Covenant in the tent of meeting. And this is what happens. Exodus chapter 40, verse 20. So we took it, took the testimony, the, the, the tablets of the Ten Commandments, and, and placed it in the ark, attached the poles to the ark, and put the atonement cover on it. Then he brought the ark into the tabernacle and hung the shielding curtain and shielded the ark of the testimony as the Lord had commanded. So they did it. They followed the instructions. They did what they had to do. A little bit later on in verse 34, something happens. Then the cloud covered the tent of the meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. that same glory that passed Moses by and, and moved Moses from a cleft into the cleft of the rock, that same, same glory. I can't help but think that that glory has been ever-existent. Ever since Genesis chapter 1, that kabod, the kabod, the Hebrew word again for glory, shekinah, kabod, this glory of God, this, this powerful force, the force that that no matter what religion you come from, there's this feeling that there is something more than us that exists. This is the kabod, this is the glory of God but unfortunately, what happens is we move from Kabod, we talked about it last week with a child named Ichabod, we move from glory to missing the glory. I have a major question that came to my mind on Monday as I'm preparing this message. See, you take the glory and you put it in a tent and you cover it over with a very thick curtain, you can't see the glory anymore. And we move closer and closer to Ichabod. Why did God tell Moses to put the Ark in the Holy of Holies, which is what they called it? Why did he do this? Well, first of all, it was for our protection. The idea here is this, the emphasis on God's Holiness. This restricted access to the Holy of Holies underscored the holiness and transcendence of God. It communicated that God is not to be approached casually or flippantly, but with reverence and awe due to his purity and majesty. This is who God was. The other was the role of mediation. The high priest served as a mediator between God and the people, representing the community before God and vice versa. The rituals performed by the high priests, especially on the Day of Atonement, facilitated reconciliation and forgiveness of sins. It's a lot of heavy words. But it fostered a renewed relationship between God and his people. And then there was the symbolism of access. While physical access to the Holy of Holies was limited, the symbolism conveyed the broader truth that God desires to dwell among his people and be accessible to them. The tabernacle or the tent of meeting, it was complex and whole, but with various courts and chambers, it was confusing. But in all, God just wanted to be with his people. And in all, it really leads us toward this one really important factor about what Jesus teaches us in the Old Testament. This whole conversation about the glory and the Ark of the Covenant and putting the Ark of the Covenant in the tent tent of meeting and, and almost creating a separation was about this. An anticipation of Christ's mediation. An anticipation that Jesus was going to do something special to come into our lives. The arrangement of the tabernacle system foreshadowed the role of Jesus Christ as the ultimate mediator between God and humanity through his sacrificial death and resurrection. Jesus opened up direct access to God for all believers, eliminating the need for a human high priest to intercede on our behalf. He became the glory, the light. We'll go on to explain that a little bit more. But in in our terms, for travelers, we understand this a little bit. When I mention the word Air Canada, what's the first thing that comes to mind? (laughs) Lost luggage, would that be a common trait? It's happened to us before. It does amaze me, though, that they can't get the luggage back to you somehow. I don't know how they lose it in the first place. I don't get that at all, especially if you're just making a trip from Toronto to, 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 to Moncton or to St. John or wherever you're going. They lose luggage somehow. And that would be a good correlation for us. As we see the Israelites put the Ark of the Covenant in the tent of meeting behind a veiled curtain, there became an out-of-sight, out-of-mind mindset for the Israelites. God can't see me. I can do whatever I want. I don't really have... And then there's a loss of belief in the fact that God even cares about us. Out-of-sight, out-of-mind. If I check my luggage, I don't have to worry about it, right? Until I get to my destination. And so many of us have gone the tactic of what? We've gone the tactic of carry-on luggage. We've mastered the tactic of putting a week's worth of clothing into a small little carry-on bag. And, of course, we want to make sure that carry-on bag is exactly the size that will fit in that metal little rig they have beside the. And if it doesn't, they'll check it in anyways. So we want to make sure it's the perfect size. So we slam that thing in that little little cabinet, but it's with us. And that's kind of the way I think we want a lot of our relationship with God. We want him to be with us, but then when we get on the plane, when we get on the journey, what do we do with the carry-on luggage? We store it up in the overhead bin, out of sight, out of mind. And I think that's the way we live a lot of our lives as followers of Jesus. We know he's with us, but we've got him stored away. He's good. I've got my comfort seat. He's there. He's with me, but out of sight out of mind. What I want to get to in this conversation about carry-on luggage with Air Canada and all this is the idea that I want us to get to a place where God isn't treated like carry-on luggage. That God really wants to be part of our journey as human beings. Like for example, Joshua chapter 3, when they crossed the Jordan River for the first time, the glory did something special. As the priests who were carrying the ark of the covenant stepped into the, the this Jordan River that was overflowing because of the flood stage, the water separated. It dried up, and then the priests were able to cross the ark of the Co- with the ark of the covenant, and all of the Israelites crossed together. The glory did something special when they carried him with them. The Battle of Jericho, seven times they walked around Jericho for seven days, and the Ark of the Covenant was with them. The glory of God did something special. Now, I don't know how bright the Ark of the Covenant was. I mean, the only correlation I might have is sometime in April, school is getting let out early because of what? The solar eclipse now they say they let school out early because the kids they're, they're worried that if the kids stare at it for any period of time I'm not going to mention any names of people that stared into this this solar eclipse at this point but there's a there's a, um, a temptation to do so and then there could be a some damage that happens I don't know how bright the Shekinah glory was But my picture is, it was something along those lines. That's how bright it was. And so God needed to set up this protection, of course, putting it behind this veil. And wherever this ark went, the presence of God would go. How bright was this? I don't know. What was this light? Well, that's what I want to dig into just a little bit. As we go back to Genesis, what is this Shekinah glory afterwards? It's a light, a powerful light. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 1 when God created the light. Verse 3 says, Let there be light, and there was light. The ore. That's the Hebrew word. Genesis chapter 1, verse 14, uses the word meor. Verse 14 says, And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the sky, to separate the day from the night. We use the same English word, light. And I think that it means it just a little bit. Or versus meor. We use light and light. So for us as English people, we're a little confused by this. It's in the same word. And that's sometimes why we get to the place where we actually believe that the sun and the moon were created on day one, and a 24-hour day ensued from that point. My question is, if there is no sun and moon, how long was the first day? If the sun and the moon create a 24-hour day, and that doesn't happen till day four, what happened on the first three days? There's an extended period of time possibility here. But let's not. that distracts me from the idea of or versus mayor. Mayor is the word used to describe the sun. Hmm. What is this light, and where else does it show up? This or light also shows up in Exodus chapter 10, verse 22. This Exodus chapter 10 verse is when the plagues are happening across all of Egypt. One plague comes on, and it's called the total darkness plague. God sets up that there is total darkness, and it says in verse 10, verse 22, it says, So Moses stretched out his hand towards the sky and total darkness, covered all of Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else or leave his place for three days. Yet, all the Israelites had ore, had light in the places where they lived. All the Israelites could see. Is this the same glory that we call Shekinah? Is this potentially... Something that Jesus is doing way back. In Hebrew, the word or, or meor, come from the same root word, or. But they are used in different contexts and convey different meanings. Or refers to a, a physical light, whether natural or artificial, that illuminates the environment. For example, the sun is a source of light. But the thing about the sun is that we could see the sun, which is more of a May or definition. May or is typically used to refer to an independent celestial light source, such as a star or galaxy, and you can actually see where the source is. For example, the light bulbs in this room. We know that they're light bulbs, and they know that they provide light. The thing about or... Is there is nothing to prove where the light is coming from? It's almost confusion. Despite the shared root, there are different meanings and concepts in the usage in the Hebrew language, or has an unexplained source that just appears out of nowhere. or is unexplainable. Isn't that how we sometimes describe God? or Jesus, Well, may or is based on being able to explain where the light comes from. And I think that's the struggle with a lot of people who can't believe in Jesus, is because we need facts. We need to know where the source is. We need to know that it's just not a miracle, that there's something to prove it. And that's the may or light we're trying to, to seek. We're trying to find a may or Jesus, but Jesus is an or light, Psalm chapter 36, verse 5 to 9. David, I believe, has this kind of same little bit of confusion when it comes to the difference between the two sources of light. Psalm 36, verse 5. Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies, your righteousness. It's like the mighty mountains, your justice like the great deep. O oh Lord, you preserve both man and beast. How priceless is your unfailing love, both high and low among men. They find refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from the river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light that same light. But we live in this, I want proof. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 5 says, Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Isaiah 9-2 continues, With the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the deep darkness, a light has dawned. Isaiah keeps going in chapter 42, verse 6. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I, I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and I will, I'll make you a covenant to the people and a light for the Gentiles to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison and to, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. Fast forward to the light. Fast forward way past the days of out of sight, out of mind. Because for the next 3,000 years, the presence of God lived behind a veiled curtain. Out of sight, out of mind, like our carry-on luggage sitting over in the overhead bin. My challenge today is, is we've gone now to the direction, thanks to Flair Airlines, where we've now learned how to pack all of our week's supply into one little backpack. Carry it with us. you got to store that thing by your feet. you got to have that with you at all times and unless you want to pay for it. I'm talking about having the presence of God with us at all times, not out of sight and mind, but with us. I believe in the Old Testament they lived in this kind of mindset where God is stored somewhere. We're not sure where. Sometimes we as followers live with Jesus in our overhead bin. But what I'm suggesting now today is we need to live with the light. John chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Does that make a whole world of difference now? Going back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, does that make a whole lot of difference to you now? We don't know. How? Jesus does it. And that becomes that or mindset. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John chapter 1, verse 4 to 5, in him was life. And the life was light of men. The light shines in the darkness, the darkness cannot overcome it. John 12 46, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Matthew 4, 16. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. This is the ore light. It's unexplainable. We can't justify it with facts. It's unexplainable. And for those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Luke chapter, 9 verse, or Luke chapter 2, verse 32. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. What did Jesus teach me in the Old Testament? I think he taught me that he is the light, the unexplainable light of God. Let's pray. And invite the worship team to come forward and lead us through this last song. Father, I thank you that in the beginning you created the heavens and the earth. And although the heavens and the earth were formless, the Spirit hovered over those waters and began the process of creation. Father, you were always existence. Father, you created something called light. and became a community of three in one. And I thank you for that light being the light of the world. Sometimes we wish it could be explained, but yet it's a light that just has an unknown source to a lot of people. I thank you that you've revealed to many of us that that source of light is your son, Jesus, and that you've always been there, and that you were there when the priests crossed the Red Sea, Jesus, you were there when you walked around Jericho with your people. You were there with Moses and you put him in the cleft of the rock to protect him. You were always in that tent of meeting. But the most important place you found yourself was the cross. And when you cried out, it is finished. The veil was torn and the light became available to all that call on your name. I thank you you made that light available even though it's unexplainable, even though we don't know where it's coming from. You are the ore light. And you help us walk through this dark world. So I thank you for that, Jesus. And I pray as we walk out of this place. We carry you everywhere we go. Just like they did back in the days of Jericho. And you'll keep making walls fall down. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.